0: Daft About Craft, the craft beer podcast.
1: Thank you for taking the time to download this episode of Daft About Craft. It is a special episode featuring a chat with the legendary Matthias Trum of Schellenkala in Germany. You can catch the next full episode of Daft About Craft, episode number 41, from Monday the 6th of March, when, amongst all our usual features, we'll also be speaking to Logan from Sinister Brewery in Scotland
0: we often have special guests this time it's a special guest that i'm especially excited about regular listeners know that i do enjoy Rausch beers and smoked beers a lot and when you are discussing such beers there is really only one place to start and that is schelenkler in bamberg in germany and i'm delighted to say we are joined by brewmaster and owner matthias Trum. matthias thank you ever so much for joining us all the way from bamberg
2: Thank you very much for having me, Dave and Dave. Um, I'm really delighted to be here tonight, and I hope I can tell a little bit to your listeners about uh, Schlenkele and Rauchbier. Um, I understand this is difficult to pronounce for everybody if you're coming from an English tongue, but we can talk a little bit more about that later. And uh, don't be put off when you had enough of Schlenkele, you can pronounce pretty much every German word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, like Dave says, he's incredibly excited because German beers are his thing is the expert on this no pressure for me Uh, yes as dave says
0: german beers are sort of how i first got into beer and then by extension craft beer for yourself it's just been a family thing which has now run for centuries hasn't it i mean this is the thing we talk to a lot of breweries who've been going maybe two three four years but just for people who maybe aren't familiar how long has Schalenkela been in
2: existence I run Schlenkel in the sixth family generation. Um, so my family line goes back 150 years or so. But Schlenkel is much older than that. The first records we have are from the year 1405. At the time, the building was called the House of the Blue Lion. And shortly thereafter, it was the Brewery of the Blue Lion. So there's uh, more than 500 years of history in there, there were some interruptions, like the thirty year War when uh, the beer production uh, went down probably Bamberg population went down considerably during that time. but it is a pretty continuous history all over all over those centuries and it 's all about uh, traditional beer brewing and the traditional way of making malt, uh, which we still do ourselves and as as you 've pointed out i've, I've been, I grew up here in 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 the brewery actually i 'm sitting now and uh, the first floor above the brewery pub, which used to be my, my children's room, and nowadays is my office, so I never really <laughs> switched uh, a lot around, apart from uh, going to university in Weinstephan for a couple of years. But apart from that, it's always been about continuing the tradition and living here uh, in in Bamberg and, and in and the brewing history. So race by the bottle and continue to fill it these
1: days, basically. <laughs> so this may sound like a silly question, but... What has changed in 500 years? Edgelenkala or in general? Well, I mean, in general, quite a few things, but in terms of you guys.
2: Um, Edgelenkala, well, uh, we have an electric cashier these days, computer-based system. We have a website, which obviously we didn't have 500 years ago. Um, Cooking is done electrically um, in the kitchen. There's, of course, certain modern elements in the brewing production, like there's combustion-driven truck rather than a horse carriage driving the beer around. Also, everything which is hard labor for the people, like uh, lifting crates and stuff like that. For that, you have machinery, like a forklift in this. Um, the basic principle of the brewing no hasn't changed it's it's pretty much the same as back then um the basic that happens with the grain the kilning uh the brewing of the beer um there's of course an automated stirring system in the mashington like not a guy standing there with um, a paddle moving it around like that but what's happening in the beer, in the product, in the mash, that's still the same. So we're basically emulating, um, I guess that would be the modern term. We're emulating what has been done manually in the old days with certain um, additions because simply labor these days, certain works people won't do anymore. Uh, For instance, uh, turning the the grain in, in the smoke kiln, which was done manually in the old days, that wouldn't be allowed today for labor safety, obviously. So certain things have changed in that respect, but the basic principle is all the same.
0: Obviously there's there's quality control, but with the generations and that, has modern technology made things any better or not?
2: Well, the, the, the current brew house, the copper brew house, was built by my great-grandfather in the 1930s. And this is essentially the same technology used. Um, it's computerized these days uh-huh. um, um, to uh, make certain things uh, more efficient, like in the old days, my father told me there was always a night shift of the brewers, and usually you 're talking about quality. there was certain issues with the night shift, people you know not being as concentrated as during the day, so the original gravity might have been slightly off from the night shift and stuff like that. So here, the computer really helps to get a more homogenic and, and even quality and I think the biggest change that has happened in the past. 200, 300 years, which came to brewing on a positive side, is hygiene. It was always very important for brewers to work cleanly, to work very cleanly. When you look into old brewing books from the 17th or 18th century, this is always pointed out that brewers need to work in a clean fashion and clean manner because otherwise the beer will spoil or uh, turn sour or have any other forms of defect. But this has been taken to a total new level in in modern times uh, with Louis Pasteur, who discovered the microorganisms and what to do about them. So uh, the materials we're using today are much better. The stainless steel lagering vessels obviously produce a longer shelf life of, of the beer than the original iron ones would have done or the wooden ones would have done and all the detergents we're having available to clean our tools, to clean the, the, the copper brewing vessel inside. So we can produce beer at a much lower risk or basically almost no risk of infection and therefore can have a very stable flavor even relatively long time after, uh, after the filling. And the entire process of bottling is something relatively new. Here in Bamberg, we still have that old tradition called the Gassenschenke, um, which means pouring to the street, basically. So uh, in the times before uh, bottling and supermarkets were invented, people would come with big pitch- pitchers or mugs to the breweries, pick up the beer there and take it home with them. And that still happens today, though most of the people now just stand in front of the uh, schlenkel and drink it there because it's just a nice happening place. So this old tradition is continued, and uh, the bottling, of course, made it possible to transport beer over longer distances and have it in a in a more stable quality. In that respect, I think the modern times have brought a lot to improve um, the, the the beer quality and also to improve the range on, on which you can distribute your beer, which for a specialty like like Schlenkele is of course a huge advantage.
0: And you say there at the end the speciality now the Rauschbier isn't that common over here, but in Germany it's it's bigger. But obviously there's yourself and special in in Bamberg. There's two brewers that do it. First of all, this isn't a style everyone will have had. If you could just explain that a bit, and also your method of malting, which is what sets Schlenkerla apart. So it's going to be a long answer i appreciate but there's, a, there's a lot to do there but um if yeah you could just sort of take us through what makes a schlenkeler beer so different
2: it's two questions you put yeah, it first sure. so smoke beer rauch beer is uh outside bamberg or uh, internationally a specialty and you don't find it uh, a lot of places our importer is uh james clay in um in the uk and then they They sell in many places, but it's obviously not a beer you find at the supermarket around the corner, something you have to look for. And the same, and that might be a surprise for you, actually uh, is true for Germany. When people look from the outside to Germany, they think, oh, it's this huge beer country and oh, lager beers and, you know, the, the, all these stereotypes, purity law and so forth. What most people don't realize, this is actually just Bavaria mainly. So Germany used to be separated into, very, into many different countries. I'm not talking East and West Germany during the Cold War. I'm talking 200, 300 years ago um, when Germany was comprised of dozens uh, or, or hundreds of territories and some more bigger like Prussia and and, and Bavaria and many others very small. And because of that, we still have a very diverse history within Germany. And when you're talking about German beer, you would actually have to look at different beer styles from different areas. So, um, for instance, in Cologne and Düsseldorf, they would have uh, ales very similar to um, um, British ales, Not, not in flavor, but in production, like high temperature fermentation, short production. And the typical lager-style beers, which Germany is now known from, are more or less Bavarian, are actually more a Franconian thing. Bavaria was very big for wheat beers, and still is, and um, the lager beers there only became popular um, 120 or something like that years ago. And the typical Lagerbier region here is uh, Franconia, which is also connected uh, to Bohemia. So we, we can drive here from Bamberg in like two hours to the city of Prague. So that's technically closer to us than say Berlin or Hamburg. Yeah. so there's a lot of cultural similarities there. So to round up that long story, smoked beer is something which is very special for Bamberg and Franconia, but even when you go to, to the rest of Bavaria, Southern Bavaria, or anywhere else in Germany, you still have to go to a specialty store to find it. You won't find it in a normal supermarket. It's a very special thing here in the area. Now, why is that? The true background story of smoke beer is, if you want to do it the original, the traditional way, is that you have to look at the malting process. In the malting process, I guess your uh, your listeners know the basic principles of beer, so I won't start start with Adam and Eve here, but in in the malting process at at the end of the malting process is it is necessary to dry the green malt to dry the most mo- moist malt in order to make it storable. Now in in modern malt houses that happens with hot air which is generated by modern heating systems, gas driven, oil driven, sometimes even electricity the the common ground for that is that the other the the similarities is that this air is basically aroma free there's no smoke inside or any residue from the heating system traditionally this technology was not available traditionally malt was dried in two different ways there was so called air dried malt which basically was left out in the sun to be dried there similar to when uh, the farmers in the summertime uh, do their harvest and let the, the grass uh, lay on, on the field for a while in order to dry it out. So that was the very first method of how in Mesopotamia, when beer was invented, the, the grain was dried. Here in Central Europe, that technology would not have been possible or that technique would not have been possible in the wintertime because it was too moist. So the only other way of drying malt was to dry it over an open fire. When you dry malt over an open fire in the traditional way in, uh, in, in the old times, it was unavoidable that the smoke from the fire penetrated the malt and gave the malt a smoky aroma and flavor. So there then you have a smoky malt, a smoked malt. And when you make a beer from that malt, it will have a smoked aroma and flavor. And what we perceive today as the standard beer flavor without smoke That was actually a relatively new invention done in England in the 17th century. England was basically independent on energy imports from from the Baltics, from the uh, (laughs) Russian territory. And that was something the, uh, the English King didn't want to have. So this new invention, uh, which made it possible to switch from high-grade quality wood to any type of fuel, was a huge advantage for the British economy to not be dependent on those imports. So this invention made it possible to use any type of fuel. It was lower in fire hazard and fire risk for the brewery, and also it was possible to build the kiln on a larger scale, meaning to mass-reduce the malt. So very quickly, new malting factories were founded. The patent was, it developed new patents or additional patents were issued for even better technologies. And within like 100 years or so, the majority of the breweries had closed down um, their smoke malt operations and had switched to the modern type malts, which were smoke free. I think that also fashion played a certain role. Um, When you look today, a lot of people have difficulties with the smoke flavor in beer because it's just so dominant and not everybody likes smoke flavors. And now there were beers available without a smoky flavor, which probably were the more fashionable option. So relatively quickly, the smoke beer uh, and the smoke malt uh, got extinct. Around 1800, the industrialization came to the continent and with it, the uh, technology of English malt making. And one of the first breweries in Germany was the Spaten Brewery of Munich. Spaten still exists today. Uh, Georg Siedelmeier, the owner, he was one of the first ones to close down his Bavarian kiln, meaning his smoke kiln, and to replace it with an English kiln, meaning a non-smoke kiln. So even in Germany, that modern type of kilning was called the English kiln because it was so defined from the English beer style. And the same happened here in Germany than uh, in in England. Uh, Production was cheaper, mass production was easier, fire hazard was lower. So within a century or so, basically all the breweries stopped making uh, smoke malt and stopped making smoke beer. Well, almost all the breweries. Bamberg played a special role in that. Bamberg had, in the 19th century, roughly 70 breweries. By 1800, all of them were doing smoke beer. By 1850, about half of them had closed down their smoke kilns, and around 1900, only four of them were left to produce uh, smoke malt or produce malt in the traditional way. One was Schlenkele, we're still doing it today. Um, The other one was Spezial, which you've mentioned, they also still are doing it today. Uh, the third one was the brewery Um That brewery also still exists today, but they stopped their malting operation after World War II. So they only have normal beer these days. And the fourth one was the brewery Polar Beer. And they closed down in World War II because their owner, I think, died in, in the war or something like that. So that brewery doesn't exist anymore. So... To make a long story short, Schlenkerland and Spezial are the only two breweries in the world which have continued that old style. And therefore, we were named uh, Passengers of the Arc of Taste by the organization Slow Food in 2017. Nowadays, there's um, more breweries, again, uh, which produce smoke smoke beer, um, with the craft beer revolution starting in the United States in the 1980s. A lot of attention was put into beer diversity and also to bring back old styles or continue old styles. So my father always tells me that he was contacted by various brewers who wanted to buy our uh, smoke malt to make smoke beer themselves. Um, there even was one time where. Americans flew all the way over to, to try to convince them to sell it. But we neither had the capacity nor the intention to sell our smoke malt because we only do that for our own production. Obviously, where there's a demand, there's going to be a supply eventually. So the big industry uh, maltings found a way to produce smoke malt in an industrial Uh, Scale, So it's basically a smoke-flavored malt. And ever since the 1980s, that's available from commercial malt houses. And so a lot of the craft breweries try and experiment with smoke beers. And here in Franconia, uh, a lot of breweries, because locals simply ask for it because it's a typical beer style here. um, A lot of local Franconian breweries have restarted smoky beers. I'd say there's like a dozen or two dozens of those breweries that do it on and off, not, not all the time. Many of them try to copy Schlenkele. We always make a fun of that when we do blind tastings and it's really easy to tell them <laughs> apart which are the modern ones and which which is Schlenkele, uh, which for most other beers is usually very difficult, you know, when you put big lagers by comparison. A lot of people cannot distinguish that, but with smoked beer it works very easily because uh, the traditional way of doing it is just, just so different. So, the, the interesting question really is why did the smoked beer survive in, in, in Bamberg and why did, uh, wasn't it replaced like elsewhere? I think there's an, a number of reasons for that. First of all, beer brewery diversity is just huge here. Um, uh, Franconia has the highest brewery density in the world. So there's one brewery per 5,000 residents uh, in, uh, in a calculated manner. Franconia actually applied to get that listed in the Guinness Book of World Record world records but um it was declined because franconia is a not is not a political construct like an independent country so guinness book said those kind of records they won't they won't publish my personal opinion on that one is uh, since we know who publishes the guinness book of world record i think maybe they're not too keen on publishing <laughs> beer records in there at all i don't know so yeah, a huge, huge diversity. And when you have a lot of small breweries, the chances are higher that traditional techniques are continued because uh, big industry breweries obviously cannot and will not do that. There's also a general conservativeness uh, here in Bamberg. Bamberg is a diocese. A king, uh, we have a king bishop still, Catholic. Uh, in certain ways, maybe a little bit backwards. Uh, there is a university with young people. Yes, so. Some things have changed in in the last uh, decades or so, but still, I I think tradition is is very important here. There's also a lot of small bakeries and butcheries, so all those food traditions are are, uh, kept very dear here. And last but not least, I think there is a big family influence uh, from, from our end. Around the 1900s, when we had become uh, basically the sole representative together with the other three of smoke beer, my great-grandfather, Michael Graser, he was a very uh, art-oriented person. He's a a very fine person, so to say. He wanted to become an, an art professor but uh, his father died relative, at a relatively young age, and Michael was the smartest of his brothers and sisters, so um, he had to continue the business. But he brought a lot of his expertise and knowledge on art and, and, and technology and all that in, in, into the, the business. When you come to the Schlenkerli brew pub today, all these old depictions on the walls, the chandeliers, the really nice ones, all that is is Michael Graser. And I think he realized that smoke beer is something unique from the past which needs to be preserved and that that it is on the verge of becoming extinct and i think he very deliberately made this uh, the decision to continue that to keep the old Smoke killed in operation to keep the fire burning. Um, also, from an economic uh, economic point of view, obviously he thought that this was something you know unique to us, which not could not be copied by others. He was also the one who turned the nickname Schlenkela we can talk about that later on, into a company name. And he actually got it trademarked in the 1920s, long before any other small brewers would think of something like a trademark at all. So I think he was really ahead of his time. And we we all, beer lovers today, have to thank Michael to to uh, having continued uh, the smoked beer in the traditional way.
1: Wow. There's a lot to pick apart there, lots of questions to ask. Mm. I made a few notes as we were going along. I'm interested in who drinks your beer now in the modern era. Is it young people, old people? Is there a mix?
2: It's a mix right across the board. I was pointing out the university early on. uh, A lot of students very much love the Bamberg beer culture, not only Schlenkeler smoked beer, but also the other breweries. Bamberg has around 10 breweries. With uh, at a size of 70,000 residents. So it's still a huge diversity. All local craft brews. Well, there's one large one, but the other ones are all small craft brews. So uh, drinking local beer is something of a cult or something of a fashionable thing. And I was telling you early on that people nowadays have that old Schenken tradition and they pick up the beer and they stand in front of Schlenkela and they enjoy, enjoy the sun and they stand there and talk and they watch the people passing by. And that's mainly a thing young people do, the locals. And this is real, a happening place um, where, where people get together. So a lot of young, young people in there there's also a lot of regulars which are a little bit older usually Uh, um, most of us who work every day we cannot be regulars in a tavern so once you retire you can afford to go to a tavern every day or a couple couple of times a week so there's a lot of those not as many as 20, 30 years ago, because behaviors a little bit changed. I think with equal rights of women, men are not allowed so often in the pub anymore when they get older. So maybe that plays a certain role in there. And there's also a lot of uh, visitors from other cities or from from other countries coming to Bamberg. Bamberg is UNESCO World Heritage City. We actually have 30 year anniversary this year of being a World Cultural Heritage, beautiful cathedral. There's 2000 protected buildings in town, which is like the largest uh, intact old city quarter in all of Germany. So a lot of visitors coming here to see that and to enjoy the beer um, as they go along. So it's a a really, really cool mix. And I remember a couple of years ago when I came, like the Schlenkler Tavern consists of several rooms. And there's something called the altes lokal, the old inn. When you come inside and you turn left, the first room, that's where all the old regulars sit in. And uh, it's really hard to find a table in there because usually all the Stammtisches there, as they call it in German, are not too keen on sharing their table. And I come in there and there's this table with the really old guys and there's suddenly like three or four blonde young girls sitting with them. And I'm like, hey, what, what's going on? How did they end up with that? <laughs> and it turned—it turns out it was Swedish uh, uh, hitchhikers or, or backpack uh, uh, students which were traveling around and they had the Lonely Planet. and. I wasn't aware of that. The Lonely Planet, you you might know that tour guide for uh, young people, they always have like the 10 hottest or best tips on a destination or a country on the inside. And I don't know whether that is still today, but at the time Bamberg was one of the top 10 things to do in, in Germany because of the beer diversity to go there and to try the beers. So this is how these <laughs> blonde Swedish students ended up at the regular table. And I think everybody had plenty of fun that night. And <laughs> so th- these are the things that can happen at Schleinkale. people get together, uh, a total mix. Um, you have the craft person next to the professor and you have these long tables where eight or 10 people can sit together. Marriages were started in there. So um, it's a very open and, and diverse thing where, where people can get together.
1: Given all of the history of Schelenkala and the traditional processes, you've mentioned craft beer a few times. What do you personally make of the craft beer scene and craft beer's versions of smoked
2: beers? The craft beer scene is a great development for the appreciation of beer. I think when, when we look what happened here in Germany, I don't know about other countries, in the 70s and early 80s, where all the beer went more and more to standardized, standardized flavors and mass production, I think that was a horrible development. And uh, craft beer really brought appreciation back for beer, for flavors, for craft production of it and not the mass production. Obviously, not every beer drinker is going to switch to that, but a lot of beer drinkers moved over to that, and people are more interested in, into what they're drinking and the background. And I mean, that's very much what Schlenkele is about. When when you drink a smoked beer, at first it's like, whoa, what kind of flavor is that? Oh, my God. And a lot of people really have a hard time. Um, there's this old Bamberg proverb that you have to drink three pints to fully get into the flavor. Or you need to know the background story of why smoked beer tastes the way it does and where it came from and why it used to be the standard beer and was was replaced by what we know today. And once you're open to this kind of story, it will totally change your perception of the flavor. And even if you say, okay, this is not a beer I can drink every day, it's something, hey, that's a taste experience and I know something about that. So I think it's really great that craft beer made that possible because otherwise these beer specialties like smoke beer would eventually had had a really hard time um, of, of surviving and, and, and still be there. I have a little problem with the craft beer development is what you also see that You know, Some guy or some people who don't know much about brewing at all get together and they have a marketing plan and they have somebody in the back who gives them the money and then they just go about the most extreme flavor combination just to stick out from the rest without looking to that it actually tastes good. So with that, I have a certain problem, but I think the market is going to solve that somehow because Mm. people won't drink those beers for a long time.
0: And have you seen, with perhaps more smoked beers coming through in craft beer, has that seen a bit of an uptick in your sales? Because then people are exploring the style and coming back to finding where it all began almost. Because I remember my first experience with Schelenkala was about 15 years ago, and I had the exact thing of it tasted like a hot dog. I didn't understand it left it alone for a lot of years and then came back to it a few years ago. And I, and now I love it and I'll drink happily a lot of it. And even now I'll still give it to friends and they have that same reaction because they haven't had it before. And it's, it's, it feels now like because there's so many different beer styles out there that this is perfectly acceptable. You know, why wouldn't you try a, a, a smoked beer? So has that sort of helped yourselves if, of getting to a new audience almost?
2: Definitely. It definitely did. Um, it, it broadened the mind of people and people are more ready to try something. But there's also a second uh, aspect to that. The whole logistics and sale in- sales infrastructure became much better for beers like Schlenkala. 20 or 25 years ago, when you tried to sell uh, a specialty beer in Germany outside Bamberg, you would have had a hard time getting logistics for that because all the wholesalers only thought in pallets and and standardized beers. There wasn't even uh, any special beer store. And obviously you cannot put something like Schlenkeler in the shelf of the common supermarket it won't be sold in in, in enough amount so that really helps though on the other hand i think uh, we're seeing in germany the same that has happened in the united states and probably also in great britain it seems that the peak of that development has has been reached and gone over a little bit so yes diversity is still there yes there's still a lot of uh, beer specialty stores and all that but I think the biggest hype is over. So we're, we're going to get into a new form of equal, uh, equilibrium there. So we're not at peak sales anymore. Of course, Corona had a certain infa- uh, impact on that as well. And now with the whole uh, export situation, like shipping problems and and the war, of course, We, we had an importer in Russia, which we don't supply anymore now, obviously, for obvious reasons. We have an importer in Ukraine. They still actually get beer, which is surprising to me, but of course at lower amounts. So, yeah, uh, there's, there's certain impacts on that. And the, the whole globalization or deglobalization, I think we can almost call it by now. Um, I mean, the, England leaving the UK, uh, the, the European Union, uh, that also was no help for, for trade with all the additional mm-hmm. papers that have been filled out now and so forth. So I think the big hype for craft beer for now is over, but it's not going to go away. It's just going to go on some uh, uh, new level, basically, where it's still still out there.
1: You touched on a few things there. I was going to mention as well with uh, the war in Russia. Now I was going to go on to ask about how you've been affected by rising costs and how have your costs rid- risen over there? Because here, our gas, our electricity, our malt, everything is more and more expensive. Is that the same for you guys?
2: It definitely is. Um, the, the prices for barley, like we buy barley, not malt. The prices for barley have been going up um, actually last two, three years already. The big influence here is climate change. Um, uh, Germany doesn't have enough rain, so our harvests are too low. So uh, barley needs to be imported. And yes, Ukraine is one of the big sellers, obviously. So um, the war made things worse. So at the moment, we're paying about double the price for barley than we used to. A big issue is energy, obviously. Uh, Our brew house runs on gas. The steam producer runs on gas. So that has become uh, extremely expensive in the last year. Uh, It's now coming a little bit back, but I think the new level is going to be about two two to three times the price we used to have. Electricity for the same reason, because that's somehow bound with the uh, gas-driven power plants. The spe- special problem we have at Schlenkler is that we are protected monuments, so we're not allowed to put solar panels on the roof. So we don't really have any means of, of getting around there. Um, water prices are still stable, um, at least here in Bamberg, because that's a communal thing. Um, I don't know how long that's gonna be. The biggest problem is actually bottles. Germany has a very effective returnable system. When when I sell it within Germany or within the, the the Bamberg region, I use a bottle 30 to 40 times. So bottle cost is not that big of an issue for for that. But bottle costs have almost doubled as well. They're even hard to come by because a large part of the German glassware came from Ukraine and Russia, which at the moment obviously doesn't work. And at the same time, the German producers uh, run on gas, which makes it expensive, and they don't have enough capacity. So um, there's actually a shortage of glass in in Germany, mainly white glass. So that doesn't affect the breweries that much. But, yeah, the the price has doubled. And for export, that's, of course, a problem in so far as the bottle won't come back. So that price has to be added on top of of the case price. So that, that has brought up prices considerably. And... Crown caps, labels, the carton boxes, all that went up as well. And now I think the wages are going to follow because all the unions, of course, calling for higher wages because people have to pay more um, for their daily living. So the question is, is this going to be like in the 70s where we have a spiral of uh, increasing prices and high inflation for the next 10 years? Or whether that is a one-time thing, and eventually we're uh, we're returning back to to normal development, and yeah, all that is not in our hands. It's basically decided in Moscow, which is really frustrating.
0: Obviously, that's not the nicest of topics to discuss. But what we should discuss as well, while we're here, we would be remiss not to is is there Beer, the Erbok? If you taste it and you've never had it, it's a very different experience. And like I say, I first tasted it and thought it tasted like hot dog. Other people say bacon. What should people who haven't had one before are sort of thinking, well, we're talking about this smoked beer. What on earth does it all taste like? What What do you get out of one?
2: Well, for me, since I'm used to the smoke flavor, the, the smokiness is actually not so dominant in the foreground. And when, when we're talking the Urbach, which is like the big brother of the classic Mertzen, uh smoked beer, it's this extreme malt-rich flavor, uh, very balanced, almost close to uh, what you know from these Trappist beers, which are really complex in in maltiness and aromas. And the smokiness is for me only in in the background of that, like the underground noise of the of the entire flavor. And then you have these really smooth hoppiness that that combines it. I, I i love the Urbach uh, mostly are the the best time to drink the Urbach is at our annual Urbach tapping. um There it comes from the wooden barrel, it's unfiltered um it has been matured for six months in the rock cellars, and that's just an awesome flavor explosion in in your mouth for for those of you listeners who maybe not had had or smoked beer before or maybe tonight have their first ones when they're listening. When when you drink your very first smoke beer, your perception is going to be different from what I've just described. Your very first smoked beer is, or your very first schlenkler, we have to say. Um, it doesn't matter <laughs> for all the smoke beers. Your very first schlenkler is going to be an explosion of smokiness in your mouth. So at your first sip, you basically have only smokiness. A lot of people compare that to sausage or, or ham or flavors like that, or a barbecue. What basically happens is, we, you, you have to look how, we, uh, how our mouth or how we perceive flavors. In our mouth, we can only perceive five types of flavors. Um, it's uh, sweet, sour, salty, uh, umami, and bitter. Umami is that rich uh, uh, flavor uh, It was discovered by someone in, in Japan. But only those five flavors we perceive with our taste spots in the mouth. All the other flavor elements we perceive with our nose. So what basically happens is when you drink a a Schlenkela, the smoke from the liquid becomes airborne through the warmth of your mouth. And that smoke aroma, chemically, it's a water-fluent phenol. That's from a chemical point of view, and it's actually measurable in the beer. So that smokiness then gets into your nose, and you perceive it like when you walk into um, a house where you have uh, an open fire burning maybe from an evolutionary background or historic background smoke is always something which you know gets us alert oh smoke there's fire you know i have to be careful run away you know maybe that's our old animal instinct and so smoke is something really extremely dominant and everything else goes uh, in the background and is at first blended out but when you had a couple of sips the same happens that uh, happens when you smell smoke, when you come to a room and you smell smoke or you smell any uh, anything in there, very quickly that smell fades away and you adapt yourself to that new environment. That happens when you drink it. So after a couple of zips, the smokiness becomes less dominant and then the secondary flavors can come through, the maltiness, the hoppiness, the richness. So in effect, when you follow that old proverb, that old tradition, you have to drink three pints to fully acquire the flavor. <laughs> The first three pints of Schlenkel are going to be three different beers for you. The first one is only smoky. The second one is a mixture between smoky and malty. And the third one, then you're in the final flavor, as as I perceive it, or as experienced Schlenkel drinkers perceive it. Then you have the actual beer flavor as it is without the smoke overpowering it. If you then still don't like it, too bad. I sold three beers. but um, <laughs> That's
1: a good sales technique. A lot of people... Is.
2: A lot of people will go, uh, will, will get to the flavor and then can really enjoy it. And of course, if they
0: don't like that one, while we were talking earlier, I drank the, the Hells, which I also like. But what I didn't realize until I was researching before we met is that yeah. doesn't actually have any smoked malt in it, I believe, yet you still get a smoky smell and taste. So, why is that the case? How do you manage to get smoke into a beer with no smoke?
2: Well, basically, it's it's a contamination in production process. Like we, we cannot do it anywhere else. It's like when you walk through a smoky room and after that your, your clothes are smelling like smoky. Mm-hmm. What happens is in the brewing process, we reuse the yeast. So at the end of fermentation, um, the main batch of the yeast is harvested. It's cleansed and then reused for the next batch. And. As the lager is only a small proportion of what we do, like 70, 80% of what we produce is a classic smoke beer. And the lager is only a side addition to that. So the lager is always running through the same kettles and the same system. Uh, the malt for the lager beer runs through the same malt mill. So there's a certain residue of smokiness in there. But the main influence is the yeast. The yeast which ferments the lager beer had fermented classic smoke beer before. And the yeast basically carries over the smoke between the batches. We could, technically, if we were to purchase new yeast and use that on the lager beer, we could produce it without a smoke flavor, but that wouldn't be no fun. Yeah. You'd never do that. <laughs> lager is a schnickler beer, and um, it yeah. has a schnickler connection. And th- there's a, a family story to the lager beer, actually. Helles lager is like the most fashionable beer at the moment in Germany. It's a big hype. Every, every brewery tries to make one. They all have these blue kind of labels like our Schlinkler Lager has. That's a development of the last three or four years, I would say. And all the big breweries have one. Again, Michael Grazer, my great-grandfather, sticks out. He made his lager, the lager we still have today, in the 1920s. So 100 years ago, he introduced that. The background story was that after World War I, Germany had the hyperinflation and a crashing economy. So it was a really hard time to survive for businesses. In fact, I think a third of the Bamberg breweries closed down in that time. And my grandfather managed to get a supply contract with the train station of Bamberg. Um, for the cantina there. And uh, the German Reichsbahn, the, the, the national train system, um, they said, yeah, we take the smoked beer because it's a local thing. But we also want a standard lager beer, which does not have a smoky flavor. So my grandfather said, yeah, no problem. Uh, my great grandfather and he made that uh, Schlenkala lager, the Helles lager. And it's become ever since then something of like a secret tip for the local craftsmen. Uh, it's a little bit lower, lower in alcohol, 4.3%. And you could see it a lot, those crates on construction sites where people would drink it there. Very standardized label, nothing fancy. The smokiness was only on the side. So the locals here in Bamberg. They don't perceive the lager as a smoke beer. They say for them that's a normal lager beer because they're used to smoky flavors mm. from the classic Schlenkela. But I I agree, everywhere else when you have it, especially if I had a norm, if you had a normal lager before, you definitely taste mm. the, the smoky flavor in that. But technically, it's not a smoke beer. Our uh important in the United States sometimes sometimes calls it the hom- homeopathic smoke beer because the smoke is carried over and, and the water remembers, so to say.
0: You go either way, again, on the, um, the strength of your beers because they're not the only two beers in your range. There's a Doppelbock, which I have had, and there's also – is it Hansler? That's like 0.9%. So you do cater for a lot of strengths.
2: When I took over from my father, there was the classic Merzen, there was the Urbach, there was the Lager, and there was a the smoked wheat beer. That was it. Of course, the most important thing is to, uh, to uh, carry on with the tradition and then to uphold the old recipes. But o- obviously, being a young person, you want to do certain things maybe differently or, or contribute in some way. And since history was always my favorite topic in school, and I also majored in history on, on brewing science in Weinstefan, and Schlenkele is all about historic beer production and smoke beer is all about history, the the route was clear. During my research in Weinstefan, I found a lot of background information on how smoke beer was done in the old days and what was available or what was done, which actually we hadn't been doing for centuries. So the classic uh, Madsen uh, smoke is made with uh, a malt dried over beechwood. Um, but obviously in the past, other types of woods were used as well. So oak was used, for instance, uh, same in England, by the way. I found records that uh, smoke malt was uh, done uh, with with uh, oak smoke uh, or with oak fire um, in the UK. And so we made an experiment, one batch bar, uh, of barley malt, which we dried over oak oak fire. And I first expected the malt to be darker and, and the smoke flavor to be more intense than the mm. barley. Uh, than for the beach but it actually was the other way around the color was a little bit lighter and the smoke was much smoother it was not so harsh not so not so biting so we said uh, or i said let's turn that into a, a mellow double bark, where the sweetness from the bark beer complements that smooth smokiness so that's the schwenkela oak smoke the double doppelbock you were talking about so we introduced that in 2008 i think 2008 or 9 um, one of my favorite beers from from, uh, from our brewery. And we just won a gold medal last year at the European Beer Star for that as the best strong uh, smoked beer. And it's just a huge explosion of flavor in your mouth. So that was one of the ed- editions. I did a number uh, of other additions. And in the last couple of years, It became more and more uh, or more and more people asked about beer with uh, little or no alcohol in in the brewery pub, you know, the designated driver or people uh, wanting to tour the city afterwards. And even myself, when when I had appointments in the afternoons with uh, journalists or um, with importers and then you drink three or four regular Schlenkulas and then in the evening you you have to to work in the tavern, that doesn't go that well. I mean, (laughs) at a young age, you can all handle that. But when you get older, it's not that fun anymore. So I remembered that I read on an old brewing technique used here in Bamberg. You might know that in the old days, water was always potentially polluted with bacteria. But like there was no sewage system. There was no no water purification. I think London was the first town um, after the antique times in the uh, 1850s or something, 1860s, when they started to build a new sewage system. So um, water quality was a big issue. And uh, most people drank beer for that, for that reason. And the problem is when you drink regular beer, you're drunk all day and you, you cannot go about your work. So a lot of beers were aimed at that daily usage scenario and had lower alcohol. In uh, monasteries, they called that covent, for instance. I think in England, the porter beers for the uh, mm-hmm. porter, uh, workers in, in the harbors were something similar, something like 2% alcohol and, and in that range. Here in Bamberg, there was a specialty, again. Yeah, So uh, the beer diversity here just was bigger. Basically, they had developed a different form of laudering technique. And the standard beer in Bamberg was known to be uh, relatively high in alcohol. They called it, it was very wine-spirited. That was the term at the time because uh, alcohol and distillation and how to measure that all was not invented yet. So um, a a beer which made you jolly and happy was wine-spirited. And the Bamberg beers were stronger than elsewhere. Um, I have old... Uh, recipe books from my great-great-grandfather from the 1840s um, he wrote down all the batches he did from 1840 to 1855 with uh, the malt bill um, the yeast use uh, the hops used the fermentation temperature etc and how much beer it yielded and it was really fun to see when when i analyzed that or it was strange to see that basically these were all bok beers he was brewing Uh, there was no regular beer and it didn't make sense Uh, i thought people wouldn't drink Bach beer all the time and when i researched further and looked into old uh history books i found that bamberg breweries actually had two products one product was beer and the other product was heinzlein or hansler as you called it so basically out of one batch of beer they would make two beers a strong one and a low alcohol one And they had a special ordering technique for that. And they had a special mashing technique for that, which I don't want to tell too many details publicly about that, but using the records from my ancestors and also the old brewing books, we were able to replicate that production uh, technology or technique. And I think we made the first batch in 2018, 2019. And when we had it analyzed, we were totally astonished that the alcohol was only 0.9. We had expected something like around 2%, like a light beer. But no, it's 0.9. And it still has a relatively normal beer flavor. Obviously, it doesn't taste like a bock beer. Mm. Yeah, it has a much lighter flavor. But it's nothing comparable to uh, the alcohol-free beers we know today. Like The alcohol-free beers usually are either uh, pasteurized to stop the fermentation. And then they're usually very sweet and, and not very much beer-like or they're used with some form of distillation or filtration technology, which takes the alcohol out after the actual production. And that has all kinds of other negative effects on on the taste. So while being drinkable, like I don't want to say anything about alcohol-free beer, but it doesn't have a typical beer character usually. And for Heinzlein or for Hansler, that is different. You're really close to the typical beer flavor, um, very hoppy, very, very rich in flavor, and still only those 0.9% uh, alcohol. And so we introduced the Hansler, the Schlenkeler Hansler, so the low alcohol smoke beer for our brewery pub. And there was a lot of demand for it. A lot of people were were asking for it. We in, Instantaneously, we sold like 100 crates a, a month just in the tavern of that. And so we made another step, and that's something you might might not be aware of. I said this technique is too great to just use it for smoked beer because obviously, in the old days, in the eighteen hundreds, already half of the German uh, of the Bamberg breweries had switched from smoked beer to regular beer. So the Heinzlein was also available in a non-smoky version. So I said, well, there's a demand for that. Let's let's try and do something outside the Schlencoler range. So in two thousand twenty. When Corona hit, we hit the market with the Heinz line in the original form, in the um, as it was done in the 19th century, in a pale and in a dark version, but without smoke smoke flavor. And it was really uh, well received. It's in, in every supermarket uh, available in, in, in Bamberg. It's a real common local product in only two years. And uh, we're right now, we are preparing to start the export with that. So in the course of this year, probably in the second half, we hope to bring that to other markets as well. I call it my office beer. Uh, During the day, it's just great. You don't feel anything from the alcohol. You have a good beer flavor. You have the historic background, which for me is always important. You don't mutilate the beer by pasteurization or filtration or whatever. And you just have that pure, old, old flavor. So that's the second part. It's not a Schlenkeler product because it's not smoky. It's a Mm Heinzland product. But it also breathes a lot of the family history because the recipe book of my ancestors uh, uh, lives in there, basically. One third of the production of Bamberg breweries in the nineteenth century was Heinzlein, so it was really oh. um, a large amount of beer which was drank like that. And and it it, it went it vanished around nineteen hundred for some reason. I don't know why.
1: Now we always ask people we talk to, where do you see yourself in the next five, ten years? But my question for you is, do you think this will also be happening in another 500 years' time with your brewery?
2: 500 years is a long time. I certainly hope so. And I will do everything possible I, to make sure that I can pass on the stick to the next uh, generation. My son is eleven. My daughter is eight. Um, my son is already very interested in in, in the in, in the business, and it's like oh a tavern. He wants to go there every night and help along. So um, the first steps are made. Obviously, you cannot control the next twenty or so exactly. generations. But I think the way we live Schlenkala today, and the way we we have documented what the history of the Schlenkala is, and what the recipes are, and what's special about it. There's a lot of momentum in order to carry it forward for a couple of generations. And as long as nothing happens like beers in general prohibited or something like that, I think we're on a very, very safe track. Uh, Simply also because we're not just about the beer, but also the brewery pub, which has this really historic atmosphere and taverns are something that's always working you know people will always go out one one way or the other so i'm quite positive that in 500 years time there's still still going to be a schlenkeler in what way and whether my family i don't know we will see well we won't we won't see but (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned there rediscovered
0: the hansler beer style going through great grandfather's records and everything and it sounded like he brewed a lot of box are there going to be any other beers you Sort of perhaps thinking in a few, in months or years to come of of other ones you'd like to introduce to the Schlankeler range.
2: Not to the Schlankeler range, uh, mm-hmm. because I think like we're gonna bring two more beers to the Schlankeler range this year. Okay. Um, that's something we're preparing at the moment, but uh, it's a little bit early, too early to tell about. But. Okay. Um, we're go- definitely going to talk to to James Clay to, to bring it over. The idea is to have that around July 23rd. Uh, ju- we named July 23rd the Smoke Beer Preservation Day, because on July 23rd, 1635, the patent for the non smoke kiln was issued. So we always do something special around that date. You know, brewery tours, presentation on the history of smoke beer, um, unfiltered editions of, of uh, some of our beers. And this year we want to bring new, two new styles which play on, on on the Kilnik technology so be surprised eventually. Uh, from that recipe book I definitely want to do more things um, outside the smoke beer range simply because there is so much special things in there which people don't know anymore today about. There were a number of techniques used i don't want to say too much out publicly yet uh, as long mm-hmm. as the beer is not there but um, hops was treated differently than we do today the malt was used in other ways than we use it today and uh, the mashing technology was different so we're at the moment experimenting with various things in that respect and some produce really uh, interesting flavor components so we want to do outside the smoke beer range a number of beers from that recipe box mainly because Schlenkeler covered this uh, smoke beer range already more or less and i think to bring these special techniques from the flavor to the people a lot of people will have an easier time accessing that flavor without the smoke beer uh, smoke flavor behind it so i think that it makes sense to bring it back in that style plus uh, in the 1840s, when my grandfather, a great-great grandfather, he was not working here at the Schlenkler Brewery at the time. He was actually the patron of the St. Michaelsberg Brewery. Um, the St. Michael's Brewery is the oldest brewery or used to be the oldest brewery in town. It dates back to the 11th century, so much older than Schlenkerla actually. And it was the monastery brewery of the Benedictine Monastery of Bamberg. And that monastery was closed down in 1804 during the course of the secularization. And the entire property was given to the city of Bamberg, which again turned it into a foundation. Now, the specialty was that a lot of monasteries were closed down in the secularization and a lot of breweries were closed down. But Bamberg made it differently because beer was so important here. Um, They leased out the brewery and had it run by commercial brewers. And my great-great-grandfather, Konrad Graser, he rented the brewery for 25 years and used the old brewing kettles there and the old techniques there. I think at the time they already had a non-smoke kiln. So that's the reason why we want to go in in into that that respect into that line and um to to continue on that end as well, and also of course, to venture a little bit outside you know I, I was pointing out earlier on when when you're young and you want to do certain things, you want to be uh, experimenting a bit, but for me, always the historic background is the important one so yes, there's gonna be more of that. one beer is there already um it's called the Stiftsgarten beer. We don't export that yet, but when you're here in Bamberg, you can find it. Uh, I told uh, you about that the entire complex of the St. Michaelsburg was turned into a foundation. So today it houses the Bamberg Brewery Museum and they have uh, the, the big church up there, which you can, well, not at the moment, it's a construction, but usually you can visit it. And they have something like a monastery shop. Where you can buy all kinds of things that monks used to make. So they have their own wine up there. Like uh, there's uh, wine grapes are grown up there. They sell certain herbs and spices. And now they also uh, wanted to have a beer. Uh, so they approached me, asked me, since I have the original recipe from the St. Michael's, like the recipes from my ancestor. Um, so uh, we produced one of the recipes from that book with Bamberg hops, in fact. So um, for that occasion, we acquired hops, which is grown locally by a small gardener. And yes, it's almost like a Bock beer, 5.7% 57 uh, alcohol, um, really smooth in, in the flavor, very, very drinkable. So when whenever you're in Bamberg, you can have a try for that. And part of the sales goes to the foundation for the good for charity and like that. So you're even doing something good when you drink it.
0: So at the start of talking to you, we got to learn how to correctly pronounce Schelenkala. Now, Schelenkala itself, there is a translation and it all relates to the logo on the beer. So how does it all come together? What does Schelenkala mean? And what does the gentleman on the beer, how does he all tie it together?
2: Well, in German, when you say schlenken, it means to, to dangle or to walk not straight like a drunk person would do. <laughs> and according to legend, uh, my great, great grandfather, Andreas Graser, the father of Michael. Andreas Grazer, he had an accident in the brewery. Uh, we, we don't know what happened, uh, whether he fell over a wooden barrel or whether the brewery horses stepped on his toes or maybe he drank too much. But after that, he was limping. So when you look on uh, the beer coaster on the label on the bottom right, you have that red insignia. And inside, you see this little person with a beer mug and a stick, and the one leg is a little bit lifted. So according to legend, he was uh, limping and dangling his arms, weavering his arms in in order to keep the balance when he was walking. And apparently he was also a very strict person. Um, So there were a lot of rules to be followed in his tavern, like women were not allowed to drink. It was a men's thing, you know, 1900s, different time. So the regulars gave him this fun name, the nickname, the Schlenkala, the little dangling person, which was basically just a way to cope with his strong rules or maybe a little bit stiff manner in the tavern. So the Schlenkele is the person um, who walks in that funny way. So when they uh, went out, they said, let's go to Schlenkele, meaning the person. But over time, that became synonymous with the tavern and eventually with a beer. And today, of course, the name is programmed because when you follow the old proverb, you have three prints in order to acquire the flavor you might schlenker or dangle a bit. So um, <laughs> it couldn't be thought better by any marketing company these days. <laughs> so we really by, by, by accident got into that. And again, it was Michael's farsightedness to uh, recognize that this nickname is something you can build a story on to build a brand on. And uh, just two or three years ago, I rediscovered that he had registered the name as a brand name in 1922 and uh in world war 2 the registration got cancelled or not renewed you know with all the horrible things that happened then and my grandfather then uh restarted that in the 1950s at a much later time but in the 1920s this document it's just just amazing when i found it it's uh it's really cool it doesn't have legal validation these days but it shows how great michael was and how uh, thorough he was in what he was doing i think without him schlenker wouldn't wouldn't be what it is today not not even close it takes guts to take the fun nickname of your father to to (laughs) definitely i i wouldn't dare i wouldn't dare (laughs) not not while he's still around anyhow get in touch with us on twitter and instagram at daft about craft one